0: Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Late last week, 92 asylum seekers were found by Greek police and European border guards stripped naked at the Evros border between Greece and Turkey. Questions about this incident spilled over onto Twitter, where Greece and Turkey traded accusations about what happened as Greece's officials said that Turkey orchestrated the incident. In 2020, Turkey encouraged migrants to storm the Evros border, and since then there's been an ongoing information war over migration. The issue has also become a central part of Turkey's broader narrative as it ramps up tensions with Greece and the Aegean, prompting fears that a possible military incident could trigger a wider conflict. John Saropoulos, an independent journalist based in Athens and Al Jazeera's Southeast Europe correspondent, joins me with the latest analysis. John, great to have you back on The Greek Current. Thank you for having me. John, what do we know about this disturbing incident with the 92 migrants at the Evros border?
1: What we know is very limited because the Greek-Turkish border is a military zone on the Greek side, and it is impossible for journalists to go there without express permission from both the military and police authorities. So all we know is that there was a preliminary interrogation of these men by the police authorities at Feres, which is the precinct to which they were taken. And they stayed there for three days before being taken on Monday to the first reception center in Philagio, which is the nearest one to the border. All of this information comes from the Greek Migration Ministry, and it's extremely limited. We don't have any photo documentary or video evidence except for one still posted by Migration Minister Nod Smitarakis, showing men covering their private parts as the picture was taken, and his word and the ministry's word for the circumstances under which these men were found.
0: John, Greece and Turkey have traded accusations on Twitter over what happened, and Greek officials claim that Turkey has carefully planned this. Is this part of, you know, Turkey's broader effort to put pressure on both Greece and the EU using migration as a tool?
1: Well, the Greek version of this is that Turkish authorities stripped these men on the Turkish side of the Everest River, and then told them to get into three rubber dinghies uh, and cross over to Greece. The Greek authorities, again, conveyed this information to us, and they say that it comes from these preliminary interviews with the 92 men. These 92 men purportedly also said that they were taken to the river in official Turkish vehicles, vehicles belonging to the military police of Turkey. And that uh, it took about 24 hours for the entire number of men to be assembled there, during which time they had no food and drink. Now, this, if it's true, suggests some kind of operation by the Turkish authorities to not only put pressure on Greek borders by bringing refugees to the European-Greek border and crossing them over, giving them the means to cross over and the instructions to cross over. It also suggests that there is some kind of impression that Turkish authorities are trying to create by sending them over naked. It's possible that they're trying to suggest that the Greek authorities have stripped these men naked. This isn't the first time the Greeks would be accused of that. They were accused of stripping 12 people almost naked back in February when it was very cold on the border, which led to their deaths once they had been pushed back into Turkey, according to the Turkish authorities. So it's possible that the Turkish authorities are trying to create resonance with previous incidents in which there have been Greek and Turkish cross-recriminations over the circumstances under which refugees have ended up on one or the other side of the border.
0: John, you write that since Turkey brought and encouraged migrants to storm Greece's border in early 2020, There's been an ongoing information war over migration. Is this also a central element in the Turkish narrative as it escalates tensions with Greece in the Aegean?
1: Well, as you say, this process of publicly accusing each other of mishandling and mistreating refugees began between Greece and Turkey in March of 2020, when Turkey unilaterally said it will no longer honor the terms of the EU-Turkey statement by which it was obliged to hold back and readmit refugees, people who had no residence permit in the European Union. The basic narrative on the Turkish side is that Europe is inhospitable and is performing pushbacks. And this is particularly levied against Greece, this accusation of pushbacks. The narrative on the Greek side is that the Turkish authorities are actually instrumentalizing the refugee flows coming from Asia and Africa towards Europe, the Turkish authorities have somehow created a policy around this phenomenon and are managing and organizing the timing and the rate of these flows in order to put pressure on the European Union and Greece in particular at times when it suits the aims of Turkish foreign policy to do so. Nobody in Europe or North America for that matter, has especially tried to rebut the Greek narrative and some officials have actively supported it. But there are many voices in Europe and North America that rebut the Turkish narrative that Europe is inhospitable and is acting illegally. And that sometimes causes embarrassment on the European side, as happened last Friday the day on which these 92 men were found on the Greek shores of the Everest River when OLAF, the European Anti-Fraud Authority, produced a report saying it had found complicity within Frontex, the European border and coast guard, with Greek pushback practices. So the narrative on the Turkish side is coming solely from the Turkish government and is very clear. The narrative on the European side has more voices to it and is more mixed.
0: John, I want to turn us to the rising tensions in the Aegean. Ángelos Sirigos, an international law expert and current deputy minister, told you that Greece is currently at DEFCON 1. What scenarios is Athens preparing for?
1: I've spoken to military and diplomatic personnel about this, and they are understandably tight-lipped about the kinds of scenarios being looked at. Apparently, they are in the dozens or even the hundreds. And obviously, no Greek official wants to give ideas to the other side. But a couple of thoughts that angelos Siribos, Deputy Education Minister, has expressed to me and publicly on television are, a, for example, the harassment of a Greek passenger ferry by Turkish Navy ships or aircraft on the grounds that it is bringing soldiers to the Greek islands. These rotations of soldiers on Greece's eastern Aegean islands typically happen with passenger ferries. It's much more cost effective to send them that way than to charter military transport ships, especially for that purpose. Another scenario that's been mentioned to me is that there could be a carefully orchestrated set of simultaneous crises, beginning perhaps with a large crossover of refugees from Turkish shores. Again, this presupposes that all refugee flows are now very tightly managed by Turkish authorities, followed by perhaps the foray of the Turkish survey ship Oručeres into Greek waters to conduct more seismic exploration, followed perhaps by a Turkish drill ship in the areas that had already been surveyed by the Oručeres back in 2020. That would be an escalation of provocations from Athens' point of view, which would require very careful management and also it's a complex set of challenges because they are both military and diplomatic and, of course, political. They would have effects on Greece's internal public opinion, some people calling for decisive action, other people calling for caution. And I suppose the aim of that would be to keep a dissonance in the Greek public discourse about how to react to Turkey every time Turkey presents Greece with some kind of challenge.
0: John, preparing for one of these scenarios is one thing, but what's the assessment in Athens on the likelihood that Turkey could, in fact, take these tensions and move it beyond rhetoric?
1: Again, it depends on whom you ask. The likelihood of Turkey actually forcing the moment to its crisis this year or next year ahead of Turkish presidential elections scheduled for June of 23 is a question of whom you ask. Some people believe that it is just as likely or more likely than it was in 2020, that we may have some kind of an accident or a deliberate incident in the Aegean that would be carefully staged and orchestrated by Turkey. Other people believe that the fundamental dynamics between Turkey, the United States, and Greece have not changed, that Turkey is still dependent on the Western alliance for its protection, for its trade, protection under NATO's Article 5, trade with the European Union primarily, but also with the United States, and for its diplomatic backing in its various international aspirations in Syria, in northern Iraq, in Libya, aspirations which pertain to security close to home, and hydrocarbons further afield. And therefore, because Turkey is still dependent diplomatically, militarily, and economically on its fundamentally important Western relationships, it would not do something that it was told not to do. This is the key question being asked again and again by academics, by analysts, how far along is the process of Turkey's estrangement from the West and its traditional alliances How close is Turkey coming to Russia's President Putin? At what point does one decide that Turkey's interests lie more in the East than they do in the West? I think many analysts here in Greece are saying that that point has not yet been reached, but it doesn't necessarily mean that something crazy might not happen in the Aegean
0: anyway. John, over the past months, we've heard multiple references from the Turkish side, to historical events, particularly events like the burning of Smyrna and what the Greeks call the Great Catastrophe that took place 100 years ago. You've written extensively on this subject for your substack, Hellenica. Is this historical context key to understanding Turkey's move today, whether in the Aegean or the Eastern Mediterranean?
1: So the Lausanne Treaty of 1923 set Turkey's land border at the limit of the Anatolian landmass The islands lying immediately off Anatolia in the East Aegean were awarded to Greece. And at that time, that was a very viable modus operandi for both countries. Turkey had shown that it had the arms to defend Anatolia. Greece had the greater navy with which to defend the islands. So there was a balance. Turkey did not pay much attention to the islands until 1974, when Greece found oil in the Aegean. And in 1982, when the UN's law of the sea came to the vote and was approved by a majority of the world's countries, those islands became very important because the law of the sea awards them up to 12 nautical miles of territorial water and a much broader exclusive economic zone where Greece, in theory, has the legal sovereign exclusive right to search for hydrocarbons as well as other obligations to preserve the natural environment. Now, since Greece ratified the law of the sea in 1995, Turkey has threatened it with war if it should attempt to implement these rights under the law of the sea, and has invited Greece to have a discretionary bilateral agreement that sets aside these parameters and comes to an arrangement that's more amenable to Turkey. The loss of Asia Minor to Turkey the signing of the Lausanne Treaty that set these borders therefore is relevant to today's dispute over maritime rights between Greece and Turkey. But all of this happened at a time when these maritime rights had not yet matured. They were not yet set in an international treaty that's been signed by 168 countries and accepted by many non-signatories as the default law of the sea. And therefore, they hadn't yet created A crisis between Greece and Turkey. Today they have, and that is the great question in this particular corner of the Mediterranean, whether the law of the sea will be implemented as it is written, as it is broadly accepted by the great majority of the world's countries, or will Greece be pushed into signing some sort of discretionary agreement that will be a sort of legal sui generis, and it'll be a dangerous legal precedent, I think, for any other parts of the world where either maritime rights or the continental shelves and territorial waters of islands are contested by one party or another. So I think that what's being played out in the Aegean with Greece insisting on the law of the sea being implemented has implications in the South China Sea, for example, between China and Vietnam, between China and the Philippines. It has implications in other parts of the world where there are still outstanding maritime disputes.
0: John, thanks for joining us again. Always great speaking with you.
1: Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: In other news, a new rift is appearing between Ankara and Washington due to Turkey's deepening cooperation with Russia in the energy and economic sector. According to President Erdogan, Turkey will serve as Russia's energy hub and Ankara will be able to supply gas to Europe. The Russian nuclear energy company Rosatom also announced that consultations on a second nuclear power plant in Turkey have begun. The rapid increase in Turkey's exports to Russia, as well as reports of the establishment of Russian firms in Turkey, have also caused reactions. The U.S. made its opposition to Russia and Turkey's plans clear, urging allies to take steps to diversify their energy sources and reduce dependence on Russia. Finally, EU leaders struggled to find immediate practical solutions on how to deal with the energy crisis, but avoided an open rift between Germany and France on Friday that would have exposed a divided bloc as it confronts Russian President Vladimir Putin over his war in Ukraine. After day-long talks in Brussels dragged well into the night, the 27 EU leaders papered over divisions between some of the biggest member states and at least agreed to continue working on ways to impose a gas price cap in case of big price increases. Germany's Chancellor Olaf Schultz warned, however, that another European Council meeting may be needed to finally settle the matter. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.